Back in 2018, then-U.S. President Donald Trump decided to ignore foreign policy experts and his own advisors and pulled the U.S. out of the 2015 Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, also known as the Iran nuclear deal. The decision was one he had threatened to do time and again. Each month, when it came time for the U.S. to certify that Iran was compliant with the deal, President Trump would wait until the 11th hour to sign, vowing that next time he would rip up the deal. That day came on May 8, 2018. Trump pulled the U.S. out of the deal and reimposed crippling sanctions on Iran despite compliance, meaning the U.S. had violated the deal first. Donald Trump's decision by many accounts was underpinned by a belief that he could get a better deal. The Iran nuclear deal, it's a horror show. I hope it works out well with Iran. They're having a lot of difficulty right now. I hope it works out well. And I have a feeling they'll be talking to us pretty soon. But he did not get the outcome he wanted. In fact, after a year of continuing to be in compliance with the deal, Iran began quickly enriching uranium. With none of the guardrails on Iran, Trump's decision had in effect created a possible nuclear crisis. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Leila Garagoslu, and today we will be discussing whether negotiators in Vienna will be able to make a new nuclear deal with Iran. Before we begin, please subscribe to Beyond the Headlines to get all the latest episodes. The 2015 Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, or JCPOA, was the result of years of informal and formal talks between the U.S. and Iran to address concerns the West had over Iran's nuclear energy program. The agreement, signed in July of 2015 in its most basic form, was designed to limit Iran's enrichment of uranium, so it would never reach the level at which a nuclear weapon could possibly be made. The deal said that the U.S. would lift sanctions on Iran and would keep them off as long as Iran limited the amount of uranium enriched at its plants, agreed to regular inspections of the plants, and installed 24-hour camera surveillance. To ensure that Iran was adhering to the agreement every month, the International Atomic Energy Agency, the UN's nuclear watchdog, would report on whether Iran was sticking to the deal or not. The report would be sent to the U.S. to be signed by the president, ensuring the continuation of the agreement. The deal, which went into effect in October of 2015, was set to last until 2025, at which point a new deal on Iran's nuclear program could be made. Iran, for the years the deal was in place, and for a year after the U.S. exit of the deal, continued to stay in compliance. Eventually, however, Iran, seeing that there was no path towards sanctions removal from the Trump administration, began enriching uranium past the permitted levels. With the election of President Biden, Iran saw a new opportunity. A possible path towards a new deal, and more importantly, a path towards sanctions relief. We're working with the P5 plus one to engage Iran diplomatically and to seek a return to JCPOA. We're prepared to return to full compliance if Iran does the same. Iran's economy over the course of the last three years has been shattered. Unemployment is rampant, inflation is high, and poverty rates are soaring at about 30 percent. Over the past two years, according to the World Bank, Iran's economy has contracted 12 percent. Iran inaugurated a new president in August 2021, a hardline president who, much like Trump, has often vocalized his distaste for the nuclear agreement, vowing that he and his hardline administration 
would be able to get a better deal for Iran. In these talks, we seek the lifting of oppressive sanctions. The interests of the great Iranian nation will be at the heart of the talks. We will not give in on the interests of the great Iranian nation. Ebrahim Raisi took over the country amid a largely contested election and domestic turmoil. His election saw the lowest voter turnout in decades. Voter apathy towards the flawed political system and a protest towards what was viewed as an illegitimate election kept Iranians at home and away from the ballot boxes. Raisi is also facing protests over water shortages due to bad policies, teacher strikes over low salaries, and the struggling economy. While there is posturing on both sides, Iran is trying to play hardball at the negotiations. But getting a new deal on the table is critical for Iran and critical for Raisi's own presidency, says the Atlantic Council's director of the Future of Iran Initiative, Barbara Slavin. He was elected through a a very illegitimate process. He had no real uh, viable rivals that were allowed to run. He was elected in an election with the lowest turnout in the history of the Islamic Republic. So he's got to prove that he actually represents the Iranian people in in some meaningful way and represents their their interests, that he's not just an executioner, uh, which is what he is really through his background as as a prosecutor. Uh, We all know his record. So I think it's important. He wants to be the next supreme leader, uh, and it would help if he had some modicum of popularity. And the only way he's going to be able to achieve that is if he measurably improves the economic situation of, of the Iranian people. I think Iran needs this agreement. I think that they don't want to show that they need it. They want to hang tough and, again, put the onus on the United States as the party that quit the deal. But but. If I have any optimism at all about these negotiations, it's because I do believe that uh, Iran needs uh, sanctions relief and, uh, and it needs it soon. Barbara stresses that it's important whenever discussing the deal to remember how we got to this point of crisis. We have to remember, too, that Iran has a absolutely justified sense of injury because of the fact that the U.S. pulled out when Iran was in compliance. And uh, most of the the economic costs, the terrible human costs, have really fallen on on Iran. Vali Nasser is an Iranian-American academic and a professor at the Johns Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies, as well as a former State Department official. He agrees that the onus is on the U.S. for pulling out of the deal, but there is a larger problem with U.S. policies. An aggressive stance is more likely to result in progressive action. In the case of Iran, he thinks the Biden administration miscalculated the situation, wrongly assuming sanctions would soften Iran and not taking the Iranians' nuclear program seriously and focusing entirely on domestic issues. I mean, these domestic people might have told them and still may tell him, you really want to go to bat on an Iran issue, which is, has bipartisan opposition. Democratic senators, Republican senators, they're all going to oppose you. Don't you remember what happened in 2015? So that's why exactly the Iranians understood that the calculation in Washington only changes if you become scary. The American system encourages countries to behave that way. Now, with Iran creating a bigger, badder nuclear program, the U.S. certainly has the incentive to make a deal. Plus, Valinast says the U.S. has other pressing foreign policy issues on the table as well. I think the U.S. also is incentivized because the scenarios of 
other than halting Iran at some level, are all bad. I mean, if Iran marches towards nuclear capability, that would precipitate a crisis in of itself, which means that, you know, a lot of the government attention, the U.S. government attention would have to go to managing this issue at a time where they have Ukraine and China and, and other issues on their table. Bali Nast says that without a deal, the likelihood of conflict ultimately rises. And while beginning a conflict is easy, ending one is not. If it ends up in a military confrontation, which people are you know, very happy to say, or Israelis are happy to say, well, you just take out their nuclear capacity. That's a scenario in which we know how to start a conflict, but nobody in Washington is confident that they can contain the conflict or they can stop it where they want. It's up to the U.S. or up to Israel to start the conflict, but it's not up to them as to when and how it will end. While it's clear that both sides have incentives, for the Iranians, talk is cheap. And unlike in 2015, they're not likely to give up their leverage so easily. In the 2015 nuclear accords, Iran agreed to curbs on its nuclear program and oversight by UN authorities to a degree that no other country had ever agreed to. It was considered a landmark breakthrough in nuclear talks. This time around, however, Iran is not likely to give the U.S. that much and is asking for guarantees that with the election of a new president after Biden, this won't happen again. The Iranians generally don't trust the U.S. I mean, that's part of the whole problem. That's why they keep saying verifiable. And, and the U.S. has turned this around as Iran being unreasonable or not being serious. But the reality is that the Iranians say Biden's likely or is a chance that he, the Democrats won't come back. The Senate is 50-50. It's going to go Republican. The House is going to go Republican in 2022. And so are we cutting a deal for two years? Like, we will unwind our economy. I mean, the ways in which Iran has set up an economy to survive sanctions, right? So the U.S. is basically telling them, you give up all of your nuclear program, go back to 2015. You also give up your missiles or start talking about them. You, you, you start talking about cutting back in Iraq, Lebanon, Yemen. You do all of those things, but we won't guarantee that the sanctions will be lifted. Iran's calls for verification and the perception that it is not serious has been a stumbling block in earlier rounds of talks. However, at the end of the seventh round, Iran, in what can be seen as a sign of goodwill, agreed to allow International Atomic Energy Agency inspectors into its nuclear facilities once again. While this small step is not enough, Barbara says it is a good sign. It's welcome because if there hadn't been this agreement, I think we would have seen a crisis. The U.S. had made it very clear that it was going to ask for an emergency meeting of the Board of Governors of the International Atomic Energy Agency before uh, the end of the year, specifically to censure Iran for its lack of cooperation with the IAEA. So it's a crisis averted more than anything else. But nevertheless, it's very important that it happened. And it should enable the parties now to get down to business in terms of negotiating a return to the JCPOA. One of the hurdles in Vienna isn't just the content of the deal, but rather what happens after a deal is made and how the Biden administration sells the idea of a return to the nuclear deal to Congress. Diplomacy with Iran is not popular among both sides of the political establishment in the U.S. President Obama faced aggressive bipartisan opposition to the deal, largely due to outside lobbying. 
it's very difficult for President Biden to just sell going back to JCPOA or a less for less deal to Congress and Senate and American political establishment when we saw the reaction to the 2015 deal. So I think those things are huge impediments. So, so I think it's going to be very difficult negotiations. Congress, however, both in 2015 and now, is out of step with the American people. Back in 2015, the American public was in favor of the deal. 56% of Americans, in fact, supported the deal. A poll done in 2021 by the Chicago Council showed 57% of Americans still favor U.S. participation in a deal. Barbara Slavin, however, says for most Americans, the nuclear talks are not a key issue. I think most Americans, frankly, still don't even know what the JCPOA is or was. It's not a big issue in the United States. The big issues, obviously, are COVID and, uh, and the economy. On foreign policy, it's probably China first and Russia second. So Iran is way down there. And I think we, this is very clear because we've seen, apart from you know, a little bit of alarm in Israel and some op-eds from well-known hawks in the United States, we've, we've seen almost no reaction to the fact that Iran uh, now has large quantities of very highly enriched uranium and uh, is in a much better position to actually make a nuclear weapon now than, than they've ever been, should they make that decision. But we haven't seen a great deal of alarm. So, no, I don't think it's a problem. If the U.S. returns, if there's a clean return, to the JCPOA, then Congress really doesn't get to to get a bite at it. Uh, Under the legislation that was passed in 2015, I think uh, Congress would only get involved if the U.S. were to negotiate an entirely new agreement or a substantially different agreement. So I think Biden has plenty of leeway. Talks between Iran, the U.S., the European Union, China, Russia, France, the U.K., and Germany are continuing with some growing optimism in Vienna. Biden has to flex his negotiating muscles both abroad and at home if he is to convince Congress about another deal with Iran. With potential military escalation on the horizon, the stakes are extremely high. Negotiators are hoping to reach an agreement soon. However, time is running out and patience could be wearing thin, despite the mutual incentives for a deal. And it will all ultimately come down to whether the two sides can trust each other. You've been listening to Beyond the Headlines, I've been your host, Leila Garagazlu. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, please subscribe by clicking the subscribe button in your favorite podcasting app. Thanks this week to Barbara Slavin and Vali Nast. This week's episode was produced by Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan. <laughs>